You're listening to the SLP Book Club. We're your hosts, Adrian Frost and Laura Geiser. This month, we're reading Social Emotional Learning and the Brain by Marilee Springer. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the SLP Book Club. Today, we are playing a little game called This or That. So we're going to say two things and each of us will tell which one we prefer. Okay, so our first this or that is calls or texts. Texts. Of course. Such a millennial answer. Text messaging came out or it started becoming popular when I was first coming into college. And I remember my freshman year of college, my friend who I played intramural volleyball with would text me about when he was going to pick me up. And I would just call him right back and I'd be like, what are these words you're sending? (laughs) Like, just call me. I was so against it. I was so anti-text because it was foreign. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, why don't you just call? It would be so much faster. And now, of course, I realize that's really silly. It's a different world. It is. Yeah. Everything you see about millennials on Instagram, on TikTok, not wanting to make phone calls. I mean, that is me 100%. If I have to make a logistic related phone call, you know, calling like an agency or the, you know, UPS store, I don't know if I I have to psych myself up. Like, oh, yeah. You start sweating a little bit. I know. Yeah. yeah. Same. <laughs> if it's a friend. Oh, like that's different. Sometimes call. if you yeah. really have to hash it out or you have a lot to say, you got to do the phone call. But yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody you pretty much call exclusively that you don't really text? No. I was going to say my grandma, but actually my grandma is amazing with technology and she likes to text. Same. My grandma <laughs> has an Apple Watch, an iPhone. Oh, yeah. She's about to turn 93 yeah. this month and she is so tech savvy. (laughs) I strive to be that way. But it's technology is hard. I find myself falling behind. Yeah, it's moving way too quickly for me. We got to stay on it. We got okay, Adrian, if you're going to work out cardio or weights. All right. So it's more complicated than I thought it would be. (laughs) (laughs) I am a hit girl, you know, high intensity intervals. Mm -hmm. But I do like to use some light weights, I think like a five to eight pound weight is good. However, I am very intrigued by lifting. I see the stuff out there that's like, do lifting and you'll really see results. But it's intimidating. And even going to the gym is intimidating for me. I work out at home a lot. So I would like to do more weights, but I don't really know where to start. Okay, well, I'm going to give you I'm going to tell you where to start. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be cardio girl 100%. I was a big runner. I used to run track, love to go for just maybe like a five mile run every day. But I no longer run. I only walk and I lift weights. And I used to be really intimidated too. I've told you before, I use the sweat app, but there's so many apps that just have those built-in programs. And you know, I have a full gym in my house with everything. But if you just get those adjustable dumbbells that go up to 50 pounds, where you could take them from five to 50 pounds and a bench, that is all you need to do a great weight workout and just use an app or like go on YouTube. But yeah, for longevity, I think they're saying weightlifting is the way to go. Okay. Well, this is great tips for me, Laura, because I'm thinking about putting a gym in my garage. I'm going to have a lot more room in there soon. You know, I have a stationary bike that I use infrequently. 
And so I've been thinking like exactly about those weights, the ones you see the ads for that you can like swap in or out and make heavier. Yeah, we have the Bowflex ones. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm going to look into it after this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's it for this episode's This or That. And stay tuned after the break. We'll get into this week's chapter. We wanted to say a big thank you to everyone who entered our April giveaway. And congratulations to our winner, Alexandria. Thank you so much for your positive review. We love getting feedback and we love hearing from listeners. We always appreciate any reviews. So if you feel inclined and you want to leave us a review, please feel free to do that anywhere you listen to podcasts. We appreciate it so much and it helps other people find out about our podcast as well. So today we are discussing social emotional learning and the brain chapter seven. And this chapter is about responsible decision-making. So Marilee starts this chapter with a story about a teacher who gives an assignment for their kids to pick a famous person to report on and even dress like, and he sees that the kids are just struggling. There are too many people to choose from. They don't know what to do. The assignment ends up just stressing all of his students out. And he's telling them, you make so many decisions every day, right from the second you wake up. And the kids are kind of like, not really, you know, my mom, I just wear whatever's clean. And my mom either makes me breakfast or I get the breakfast at school. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. And the teacher ends up putting them in groups, having them go through their strengths and weaknesses and what their interests are and trying to pick a couple famous people that would work for the project and having a few options in case it ends up being difficult to choose. But basically, it's like when you give kids all these options, and they have endless decisions, it makes things really hard for them. Decision making is a really important skill because students have to make decisions all day at school, like what's important to write down, or what's the question asking me. It's estimated that teachers make 1500 decisions per day related to education. Wow. So I think we're going to get into it next chapter. But, you know, as educators, that can cause us some issues, the amount of decisions we have to make. Responsible decision making includes identifying problems, analyzing situations, solving problems, evaluating your choices, and then reflecting on the outcome. So she gives a framework that's from the heart of Illinois United Way. Before you're making a decision, you look at a problem. What's the problem? You come up with two possible solutions. Then analyze what the consequences would be of each solution. And if both options look like they're going to end badly, decide what you would do. And then after you make a decision, you reflect on it by asking, what choice did you make? Would you do anything differently? And trying to remember that when you make a wrong decision, you become more resilient as long as you try again. So she explains where decision making takes place in the brain, that it's in the prefrontal cortex, but it's really heavily influenced by our amygdala, which processes emotions, and the hippocampus, which is responsible for memory. So feelings and previous experiences are influencing activity in the prefrontal cortex when we make decisions. And that's why it's really important to slow down and think before you make decisions. Factors in decision making include time, 
and your values and priorities. So first she goes into time and she tells a story about a student who makes kind of an impulsive decision to go out with some friends instead of working on a project with her group. And then she really regrets it the next day. She knows that her group members are going to be mad at her. She wants to just fess up to the teacher, but then she's kind of struggling with, well, if I lie to the teacher, then my parents won't find out. What do I do? She was asking Marilee's advice. And Marilee told her that right now, as she's thinking about it, she has the benefit of time to think through her options and consequences. Whereas the day before, she had made a bad decision really impulsively. She gives another example of if you were in a really big rush when you're trying to pick paint for your house or something big like that, you know, if you needed to be somewhere and you just picked a color kind of quickly, then when you're driving away, you might start to really think about it and regret your decision, rethink it. So having too little time or information to make a decision could lead to an unwanted result. Whereas taking the time to look at the big picture, weigh the pros and cons, and the consequences of each option could lead to the right decision for you. And then she says another factor that has an impact on decision making is your values and priorities. So your values are your general beliefs about what's right and wrong, and they really remain constant and unchanging. Your priorities tell you what's most important to you. So it's important to discuss values with your students. And I liked this creating a social contract. So at the beginning of the year, creating a social contract with our kids, which I would like to do with my speech kids, where you ask these questions. How do you want to be treated by me? How do you want to be treated by one another? How do you think I want to be treated by you? And how do you want to handle violations of the contract? You're really all discussing how you want to be treated by one another, writing up a contract, and then, you know, you'll have it there written out and signed by everybody, kind of like a behavior contract, if things do come up and people are violating what you'd written down. And you can also work on priorities with students by going over their schedule, mixing up the daily schedule, or asking students which order they would want to do things in if they could have their day go exactly the way that they wanted to. And then she talks about creating a priority grid, which I did make a it's a really simple one page priority grid, which I thought was kind of cool. It has a 12 space grid with numbers one through 12. And then below it, it has another grid that has words and has words in it, you know, things like having a lot of friends or money spending time with family, those types of things. And the students cut out all the little squares and then they put them in order and then they can kind of compare, but they get to put them in the order that's most important to them and really understand what their priorities and values are. So you can find that really simple one-page priority activity for teaching your kids about values and priorities on my Laura G. SLP Teachers Pay Teachers store or on our Patreon page. And then Marilee says to keep mindfulness in mind. Mindfulness is tied to sound decision making. So when you're mindful, you're able to detach yourself from your stress, your thoughts, your emotions, and look at the bigger picture. And people who practice mindfulness are open to more options and make better choices. So then this is the part where Marilee is going to go into the strategies that will improve decision making. 
she has an activity called guts versus heads where you guys the whole class kind of comes up with something that they want to do like a field trip and then first everybody just says their gut reaction where they want to go you write all of them down then you weigh the pros and cons and you really think through each option think of alternatives think of the feelings of your classmates so it's kind of showing kids the difference between making just a gut-based decision versus really thinking things through. She talks about a five-part decision-making plan where you identify a problem that needs decision-making and then you analyze it by breaking down the problem into its parts, brainstorm possible solutions, evaluate the solutions using an if-then chart, and then reflect on the entire process. So that might be a good activity to go through with some of your speech students who have trouble with problem solving or making decisions. She says another way to work on decision making is through classroom jobs. You know, coming up with your class, okay, what jobs are available in the classroom? What does each job entail? And I was thinking there wasn't a lot of decision making involved in classroom jobs. And then she gave the example of something as simple as passing out papers. If there's a paper passer outer, she said she's had one in the past that just asks a million questions about how to do it? Where do I start? At the back or at the front? And I was like, oh, there are a lot of options. Do I just hand a pile to the front of each one? Or do I go through and pass one out to each person? I don't know. So there are little decisions that kids have to make. I don't know about you, but I always felt special when teachers would like ask me to help like that. I loved it. Oh, me too. Being the teacher's helper, that's probably both our personalities. (laughs) (laughs) She sees me. Another strategy for improving decision making is debate. So debate gives students a voice and it develops their decision making skills. She gave an example of sparring debates that's really using kind of would you rather questions. And I don't know about you, but I use would you rather questions a lot with my pragmatic language kids. There's so many great free boom cards with would you rathers for every holiday season, you know, and those always get kids talking. Okay, so this I hadn't thought of before, Adrian. I'm curious to know your thoughts. She says you can use Dear Abby, like explain to your kids who Dear Abby was, and then use real Dear Abby letters or ones from another advice column and have students discuss solutions to other people's problems. Wow, you know, I love that though. Talk about real world <laughs> situations. Oh. Sometimes I don't know. I mean, I know this always seems to come up, but I have a lot of kids who have pragmatic goals on my caseload. And so I've spent a lot of time working on like problem solving goals that involve scenarios. And I get a lot of them off Teachers Pay Teachers. I buy some at Super Dupers and Decks and stuff. But a lot of the questions are either too simple or they're not really like nuanced enough. Kind of depends on the age level, right? So if you have like a second grader, they're going to be working on something simple. But I love those kinds of more complex problems for middle schoolers and high schoolers. Yeah. And so that sounds cool. I'm really, I wish I would have heard of that earlier. I would definitely have used it. I know. So I'm going to go on the hunt. I'm going to search for some Dear Abby because it would also be cool to read them the problem. Have your students work on their own solutions, come up with a few. And then once they've solved the problem, read what Abby said and compare what their solution was to what Abby said because she's the expert. <laughs> True. And it's also like pretty revealing when you have a discussion about one problem. It can help you to sort of see more about your students. Maybe some kids care more about fairness. Maybe some are more rigid. Maybe some are more self 
centered, you know, it's always, I feel like I've had some great discussions with kids over stuff like that, especially moral dilemmas for sure. Oh yeah. So then she also had a few suggestions straight out of, oh my gosh, what's the game show called? Regis Philbin was the first one to host it. Who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? So she says you can implement phone a friend where if a kid doesn't know something, you could say, do you want to phone a friend? And either they can ask one of their friends in the class or she said she's literally had her students call their parents on on the phone (laughs) to ask them something. And then she also says you can do the same thing with ask the audience. So get help or feedback from the rest of the class if you're unsure of something or even with writing assignments. She said you could start a writing assignment, then have the kids read the first part of it and then have the class give feedback on what they would like to see in the rest of the paper, what questions they want answered. So just getting that feedback so that the students can then use feedback from other people to make decisions about what to include next. Marilee says decision-making should be woven throughout your classroom instruction. So focus on decisions like when you're teaching history, the decisions that people in history made or characters in a book like Romeo and Juliet talk about maybe what they should have done differently Yeah. (laughs) or talk about making decisions about what sources to get your information from like books or the internet, best methods for problem solving. That's great in math, obviously. And then use comparing and contrasting to decide which things are better than others. And then in the every student has a story section at the end of our chapter, Marilee just says, it's really important to teach students that it's okay to make mistakes failure is an option, your brains can change, and you do have the ability to achieve. And she includes some if-then statements to help guide you. So if a student is afraid of making choices because of their past experiences, maybe being told they were wrong or failing, then begin an activity with a short discussion about growth mindset and our ability to change our brains. If a student does not agree with the group decision, then ask her to examine the evidence that the group's gathered and try to find irrefutable proof that the group is wrong. If a debate becomes a shouting match with things like, no, you're wrong, then provide sentence starters like, I strongly disagree because blank. So that's it. Just a short, sweet chapter on decision making. It's a really important skill and there are ways that we can be kind of weaving these strategies into our speech sessions or into our classrooms to help students make better decisions. Absolutely. All right. So that is it for this week's episode. In our next episode, we will be wrapping up social emotional learning and the brain. I can't believe it's already over. (laughs) So stay tuned. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye, Adrian. Bye, Laura. The SLP Book Club is not just a podcast, it's a community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash the SLP Book Club to join the discussion after each episode. Want even more of the SLP Book Club? We've made all the resources for this book, including chapter summaries and visuals, available for free on our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the SLP Book Club to download these great materials. To learn more about the SLP Book Club, go to the slpbookclub.com. You can contact us by emailing hello at the slpbookclub.com. Follow us on Instagram at slp underscore book club. Find us on TikTok at the SLP book club. 